Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. It's good to see all of you here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 4. Gospel of John chapter 4. Title of the message is Reaping the Benefits of Other People's Labors. Reaping the Benefits of Other People's Labors. So good to see you on Labor Day. Thanks for being here. We got a lot of people out of town for Labor Day. We got a lot of dog fans who stayed home because they're in mourning. Yeah? Yeah, not me. I came on. Came on. Before we read the scripture, I want to uh, pray. For us, we have some folks that we need to pray for. Brian Doyle, Kristen Hammaker's dad, Tyson and Reagan's granddad had leg surgery to repair a tear in one of his uh, calves. So remember Brian Doyle. Also, Lindsay Lambert had a partially detached retina repaired this week. So remember Lindsay and Philip. Also remember uh, Charlie Pace. Charlie Pace is one of our oldest members. He has Alzheimer's. He's in Benton House over in Noonan. He fell recently and uh, is not doing very well. Please remember Charlie Pace. He's, uh, he's a Hall of Famer. I love Charlie, Miss Hilda, great, great folks. So please remember them. Gene Vining is uh, Pam Cox's mom. She uh, was living at Baptist Manor. Now she lives at Emeritus down in Noonan. Uh, she's been having several health issues, been in and out of the hospital. We want to remember her. Fred Hurley uh, has had three surgeries within the last 10 days on his brain. He's in uh, the intensive care unit at Emory Hospital. His wife, Janet, who is a regular attender here, uh, in the traditional service. Please remember Fred. Remember Carrie Self, Kyle Self's wife, Carrie, uh, has, uh, had uh, been diagnosed with ulcerated colitis, had to have her entire colon removed this week. That's a major surgery. And she's in the hospital also at Emory. Phil Bryant is the son-in-law of Pam Phillips. Pam and Rick uh, attend the traditional service and he died of uh, cancer last night at about 9 o'clock. Um, and uh, please remember them. They are, they are heartbroken. I want you to remember Summer Johnson. Summer, 12 years old, I think around 12. She was in our Upward Basketball program. Uh, her brother is on his way to being a pro baseball player, and she was out to see him play in California a couple of weeks ago in a foul ball line drive hit her right in the eye, and she's had to have surgery uh, on, her, on her face, and let's pray that uh, she will not lose the use of her eye, that she will not lose her sight in that eye. So remember Summer Johnson Lawson Sayer is the father of Lisa Grace. He has uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, heartbreaking. Please remember uh, um, Lawson Sayer and also Mrs. Sayer, his wife. Uh, remember Mike Laster, uh, still undergoing uh, treatment for cancer and fighting in every step of the way. Let's remember Mike and Marion. 
Rob Estes is a friend of the Bronze. Uh, please remember Rob and his family going through some real significant health issues. We've got a lot to pray for, don't we? And I want you to pray for our nation as our uh, president and the leaders of Congress decide what to do about Syria. Let me tell you, um, that may be far away from our minds, I guess some of us, but it needs to be right on the front burner of our prayers, uh, whether or not to intervene in Syria, um, the loss of life in that country. It is, it is amazing how low human beings can go. So let's pray for our leaders as they decide what to do. Ed Johnson, Clyde Taylor, Jim Barfield, Dot Bates, and pray for our church with decisions that we have also um, ranging from worship schedule to relocation to um, a lot of other things going on in our church. So we have a lot to pray for. So let's pray now. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we just unloaded a lot of names, a lot of prayer concerns. And any one of those is too big for all of us together. But Lord, we've unloaded them into the hands, your hands, hands that are well capable of reaching every single need that we mentioned and so many more. We pray, Lord, that you would touch each of the names we mentioned, each of the families we just mentioned. We pray, Lord, that you would be with them, give them healing. We pray that you would comfort those who are grieving, give recovery to those who are post-surgery. We pray, Lord, for our church, for our uh, older senior citizens who are dealing with a lot of health concerns that come along with aging we pray, Lord, for families who are hurting that we didn't even mention. And certainly, Lord, we couldn't mention them by name, but they are here and they are suffering. And, uh, Lord, I just pray for them in some major, major ways that you would touch them and bring healing and reconciliation and, and peace into the hearts of these people. And, Lord, now as we open your word and we think a little bit about uh, those who come before us, whose labors we are reaping the benefit of. Lord, help us to appreciate the folks you've called into this area who are long gone, but Lord, their, their labors still speak. They're kind of like Enoch, though he was dead, yet he speaks. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to honor them this morning on this Labor Day in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus in chapter, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 34, says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. And then this last verse is the one that I really want to key in on. Verse 38, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their 
labor. You have reaped the benefits of their labor. Labor Day is a holiday that was established in the late 1800s to honor American workers, the contribution of American workers, in particular blue-collar workers who are factory workers and industrial revolution workers and assembly line workers. We, we set aside this day every year in America, or actually tomorrow, every year in America to honor their uh, labors. And I thought it would be appropriate for us to, uh, to set aside some time to think about those who have labored so that we could be here at Palmetto Baptist Church this morning. Palmetto Baptist Church was, was organized in 1881, in the spring of 1881. But I want to go back a little bit further than that. There's no way to, to uh, give even a, a, a sketchy cross-section of all of Christian history. It would take many, 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 many moons of sermons to do that. But I want us to go back in time and just highlight some of the people that you may or may not have heard from, heard about, but yet uh, made significant contributions to uh, Christianity and in whose labors we stand today. Back in uh, the 1300s, there was a man by the name of John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe lived in a time that you and I just cannot understand. It was a time when, when the church believed that ordinary lay people should not have access to the Bible. And so only the pastors, only the bishops and the popes and the priests had access to the Bible. They did not trust, church leaders did not trust everyday Christians with access to the Bible. They felt like they needed to explain to lay people what the scriptures said. And so they purposely withheld scriptures from the masses of people. And John Wycliffe was a guy who, who, as he looked at the scriptures, he disagreed with this. He felt like the scriptures should be translated into the languages of the common people. And he started devoting his life to translating the scriptures into those languages so that people could have access to the scriptures. The church did not like John Wycliffe. They did not like him for doing this, and they started working against him to, to try to put him out of business. Before they were able to do that, John Wycliffe died one day in church as he was, uh, as he was uh, leading his church in the commemoration of the Lord's Supper. They were taking Lord's Supper, and John Wycliffe died in the middle of a worship service. And when he died, he left behind literally thousands of manuscripts where he had handwritten, hand-translated the Bible into the language of common people. It was a major, major thing that he did. And yet he died at a, a, a rather young age, he was 64 when he died. Sometime later, there was a, another young man who came along and heard about Wycliffe and picked up on what Wycliffe did. This man's name was John Huss. And John Huss said, Wycliffe was right. People need access to the scriptures. This is a life-changing document, these, th these scriptures, the Bible, and people need access to it. And so he started taking Wycliffe's uh, translations and spreading them out to the masses of people where he lived. The church didn't like that. And they got to John Huss before John Huss died of any natural causes, and they 
decided to condemn him as a heretic. That means to condemn him as a total unbeliever. Why? Because he felt like people ought to have access to the Bible. Something you and I take for granted. How many of us don't have a number of Bibles in our homes. Now, we may not open them very often. They may serve more as decoration than they do deliverance, but we have multiple copies of the Scripture, and if we don't have them in hard copy, we have access to literally a 100 different translations on BibleGateway.com if we have Internet access. We take it so for granted. And John Huss was condemned by the church for wanting to give access to the scriptures to everybody who is uh, anywhere, all people. Well, they decided to uh, burn him at the stake. They burned him to death at the stake. He was 46 years old when on July the 6th, 1415, they burned him. They tied him to a stake and they put papers underneath him along with a wood pile and they burned him at the stake. You know what those papers were that they used for kindling to burn John Huss? You know what they were? They were Wycliffe's translation manuscripts. The church took Wycliffe's manuscripts that he had handwritten. They, they crumbled them up, wadded them up, put them under, the, under John Huss as he was tied to a stake, and they used that for kindling to burn him to death. John Wycliffe, who was buried in England, must have been turning over in his grave. But the church wasn't through there. They then, after they had burned John Huss at the stake, they went and they, they decided to condemn John Wycliffe, who had been dead for a number of years, over 20 years. They decided to condemn him as a heretic, and he needed to be burned at the stake, so they went and dug him up. They dug him up and they pulled up his body. He had been in the grave over 20 years, and they burned his dead body. And then they took the ashes and they strode them in a river that flowed right through the town that John Wycliffe grew up in. Oh, folks, listen to me carefully. When you and I open up the scriptures, please, please, please don't take it for granted. There are people who died so that you and I could have access to those scriptures. They labored. They went against the flow so that we could reap the benefits of their labors. Jump ahead almost 200 years. John Smith, he's an Englishman. It's the, in England. They have a marriage of church and state. Listen to me, folks. They have a marriage of church and state in England. What is the, what is the religion that controls the government in England? It's Christianity. And as is the case, anytime you have a marriage of church and state, whatever denomination is the most influential in that religion controls the government. And in England, where Christianity was the state religion, the leading denomination was the Church of England, also known as the Anglican Church. And the Anglican Church, with King James of England... The King James Version, as its head, decided that it's illegal to be anything but Anglican. That means it's illegal to be a Baptist, and John Smith was a Baptist. And so, because he knew it was illegal to start a Baptist church in England, he left his homeland, went for Denmark. He and a fellow by the name of Thomas Helwes, and in 1609, they started the first Baptist church in the world. 1609. 
John Smith said we need to be baptized as believers, that is, baptized after we've made a profession of faith. None of them had been that. All of them had been, had been baptized as infants, including John Smith. And he had a dilemma because he had this congregation over in Denmark. They needed to be baptized, but there was nobody there who had been baptized. So who baptizes them? So John Smith said, I'll tell you what, I'll just baptize myself. And he baptized himself in the water. And then he went and baptized everybody else, including Thomas Helwes. But Thomas Helwes had left his wife and children back in England. They were still married. They weren't having marital problems. He was just that devoted to freedom of religion. And he said after a short period of time, he told John Smith, he said, I got to go home. I'm going home to my wife and children. And he said, I know it's illegal, but I'm going to start a Baptist church in England. He goes back to England and he starts the first Baptist church on English soil, 1611. And what happens? King James arrests him, puts him in prison because he's a Baptist and he dies in prison some four years later. Listen, my fellow Christians, when you assemble in this place by freedom of choice, please don't take for granted the fact that you were free to come here on a given Sunday. Because there were people who didn't have that freedom to worship as they chose the way you and I do. And they gave their lives, risked their lives so that we could be here. They labored and we are reaping the benefits of their labors. John, Roger Williams leaves England because they didn't have freedom of religion. He goes to the New World and in Providence, Rhode Island, he starts the first Baptist church in America. Not long after that, there is another church group that starts a Baptist church in the little town of Kittery, Maine. And they were being persecuted in Kittery, Maine for being Baptists. And they said, we got to get out of here. They pulled up stake and they relocated. They had a relocation program, except it wasn't a mile down the road. They left Kittery, Maine and came down to Charleston, South Carolina. And they started the first Baptist church in the South. Get this. The first Baptist church in the South was started in the North. Don't you hate to say that? Why don't you hate to say that? The first Baptist church in the South was started in the North. And out of that church, there were people like Daniel Marshall and Shubal Stearns, both natives of Massachusetts and Connecticut, who believed in freedom of religion, but believed in the Baptist cause and believed in reaching people for Christ, whether they were Baptist or not. And they came down into Georgia, and uh, Marshall and Stearns started the first Baptist church in Georgia called Keoki. You can still go. It's not far from Augusta. You can go worship at Keoki. It's the oldest continuing Baptist church in the state of Georgia. Out of that church came Jesse Mercer, for whom Mercer University is named, and he pastored a number of churches in the Augusta area in Wilkes County and over in the area near Walton in Gwinnett counties and in Jackson uh, County. And from there, there was a guy named Burson who, who moved from uh, up in Walton County down to Carroll County, and he came in touch with a young man at 17 whose name was, here it is, George Washington Colquitt. And at 17, George Washington Colquitt, who was a student at Bowden University, hometown of Mr. Stan Daniel. Bowden University, which is no longer in existence, was the first co-ed university in 
the state of Georgia. Colquitt was studying uh, for a bachelor's degree at Bowden University. He was fluent in four languages. He got saved at age 17. A year later, uh, the same pastor, George Washington Burson, who baptized George Washington Colquitt at age 17, presided over the presbytery that ordained him into the ministry. He pastored a number of churches in the Coweta County, Heard County, Merriweather County area. At about that uh, same time, there was a pastor by the name of James Rainwater. James Rainwater came also from the area of Walton and Gwinnett County. He'd also come under the influence of people like Jesse Mercer. He came down to he came down to this area, and he became the first pastor of Rama Baptist Church. He was their pastor for 26 years. James Rainwater. Now get this, I just found this out lately, it just thrilled me. James Rainwater's great-grandfather is named John Rainwater. John Rainwater. My great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather is John Rainwater. I'm related to the first pastor of Rama. Rhema was the only church in town for a long time. In fact, out of Rhema came First Baptist Fairburn. Out of Rhema came Sardis. Out of Rhema came Providence. Out of Rhema came Friendship. And in 1881, a group of people in Rhema said, we'd like to have a church uh, that's closer to where we live in this metropolis of Palmetto because we don't like having to get up on Sunday morning and, and travel the long journey from South Palmetto all the way to North Palmetto to go to church at Rhema. And so the folks at Ramah said, we, we agree we want you to start a new church. And 34 people came out of that church and um, started Palmetto Baptist Church, 1881. 1881. And they called, they needed a pastor and there weren't enough pastors around. The pastor up at Ramah in 1881 George Washington Colquitt. George Washington Colquitt. So when the folks at Palmetto couldn't find a pastor, they went back to Raymond and they said, would you share Pastor Colquitt with us? And they said, we sure will. But let me tell you what Raymond had to do in order to share him. Miss Danny, just forget about the slides, honey. I've, I've, I'm, I'm all over the place. Which is not new, right? right? They went back up to Ramah and they said, will you share Pastor Colquitt with us? And Ramah said, we'll do it. But in order to do that, Ramah, who was meeting every single Sunday, in order to share Pastor Colquitt, they had to give him up two of their Sundays. And so they made the really extraordinary decision of saying, okay, we'll, we'll go back to meeting two times a month so that you can have him two times a month. That seems bizarre to us now. We would say now, well, you, you can have them at 9 o'clock over there and we'll have them at 11 o'clock over here and both folks can have them every Sunday, you know. But it was a little bit different. You couldn't just, you couldn't just get in your car and just drive somewhere in a few minutes from one service to the other like you can today. And so Rama made the decision in their generosity to let us have Pastor Colquitt. 
and he came down here. Pastor Colquitt, fluent in four languages. He, he had uh, served in the uh, Civil War. He'd applied to be a chaplain. The Confederate government refused his application. What in the world? He served for 16 years the first time, then he left, then he came back for one other year. He served 17 total years, Pastor George W. Colquitt. He was sometime later followed by a man whose name was Albert T. Spaulding. Albert T. By the way, that, that, that's Albert T. Spaulding there. The, the slide before was uh, George W. Colquitt and some of his sisters. Albert T. Spaulding, that's him and his son. He was one of the foremost Baptist leaders nationwide during the middle of the 1800s. In 1861, when the Civil War broke out, he was pastoring the Berean Baptist Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was from the South. Civil War broke out. He's pastoring in the North. You think there's tension there? About as thick as a piece of Play-Doh? You better believe it. You better believe it. What did he do? He left the Berean Church. Came back south. He pastored churches and he, he pastored the first Baptist church in Galveston, Texas. He pastored the second Baptist church in Atlanta, Georgia, which later became Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He left Second Baptist Church in Atlanta in, uh, in the early 1800s, in the early 1900s to do what? To pastor Palmetto Baptist Church. He served as our pastor for three different tenures. And the last time that he served as a pastor of Palmetto Baptist Church, you want to talk about prophetic? He was also chaplain at the Georgia Baptist Children's Home in Hapeville long before they even thought about moving to Palmetto, Georgia. Albert Theodore Spaulding. Later on, there was a fellow by the name of Dr. J. Bradley during the early 1920s. He served as pastor of our church. He, earned, he, had, he held five earned degrees, including two doctorates, as well as some honorary degrees. Probably the most educated pastor that we ever had, along with George W. Colquitt. After him, there was B.D. Gray. B.D. Gray served our church from 1930 to 1932. He's very important because just five years before he came to Palmetto, he was the president of the Home Mission Board. They call it the North American Mission Board now. He was on the committee in 1925 that put together the cooperative program and recommended it to the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. B.D. Gray. He's in every history book about Southern Baptists that you will ever see. And after leaving the presidency of the Home Mission Board, where did he go? He got a promotion and became the pastor at Palmetto Baptist Church. I'm telling you, this church has had some major league leaders. I don't know what happened to y'all. In 1932, they got tired of all these big-name pastors, and they brought in a guy, and this was his first pastorate. His name was Amplus, Amplus, Amplus D. Howard. With a name like Amplus, it's a wonder you ever got to pastor anywhere. Don't you agree? But it was under Amplus Howard, at his first pastorate here at Palmetto Baptist, that he said, you know, this wooden structure we've got is no longer... Uh, good enough for God's house, and they decided to tear that down, and they built uh, the the original framework for this building out of cinder blocks, which was a brand new technology in 1932. After Amplis Howard, there was a fellow by the name of Dr. Baltus Joseph Windsor Graham. 
He also owned the Index Publishing Company, which published the Christian Index, which was the Baptist State Paper and still is the Baptist State Paper. Keep in mind that the Christian Index, first of all, started in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Jesse Mercer, when he was alive, went up and bought the Christian Index out of Philadelphia, brought it to Washington, Georgia, and made it the State Baptist Paper. And sometime after Jesse Mercer died, this man, Baltus Joseph Windsor Graham, purchased the Christian Index, and he became the editor of the Christian Index. And you know what he was? He was pastor at Palmetto Baptist Church. Amazing. Over the years, Palmetto Baptist Church has been strong, mission-minded from the start, giving $16 in September of 1881 to mission. $16. That was a lot of money in 1881. In 1890, they gave $35.21. In 1912, Palmetto Baptist had a big missions thrust. And they led the Fairburn Baptist Association giving $1,612 to missions that year, 1912. $1,612. That doesn't sound like a whole lot, does it? But listen to this. In 1612, I mean in 1912, to give $1,600, that was eight times the average man's salary, eight times. That's what $1,600 was. That'd be the equivalent of us doing a big thrust for missions and raising $300,000 in just a short period of time. This was Palmetto Baptist Church in 1920. Palmetto Baptist Church participated in what was known at that time as the 75 million campaign raising money for missions. We set a goal of 4,000. How much did we raise? $6,468. Jesus said, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. And you, 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 you have reaped the benefits of their labors. Ladies and gentlemen, when you think about what, and I just, the people I've mentioned here, are, are, it's not even scratching the dust of the dust of the surface of all the people they could mention. I don't have time to mention them all. My point, though, is this. When you think about the fact that in our day we have arguments and church splits over carpet color, Or we have, we have arguments over somebody suggesting that we give up our Sunday school classroom for another class that is bigger and needs that classroom. And, and we think we own that classroom. We have squabbles over stuff like that. We ought to be ashamed. When you compare and contrast that with what some of these people went through in order for us to be here today. Other people have labored, and I mean they really labored And you and I, this morning, are reaping the benefits of their labors just by being here and worshiping at Palmetto Baptist Church. And I submit to you that we owe it to them. You and I. We owe it to the John Husses, the John Wycliffs, the George Washington Colquitts, the Amplis Howards, the B.D. Gray. We owe it to them. To do everything within our power today to ensure that 50 years from now, Lord willing, 
Palmetto Church will still be vibrant. And people then will be reaping the benefits of not only Colquitt's and Gray's and Graham's labors, but our labors. We owe them no less than to do our dead level best to ensure that. You and I today are reaping the benefits of other people's labors. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have not shown up here in a void. We are not the makers of our own environment, not totally. We are not deserving of the credit of all that is the history of not only this church, but all of Christian history. We stand in the glow, the afterglow of thousands of men and women, some of whom gave their lives so that we could meet here on September the 1st, 2013 and worship you freely. And I thank you for those people. Help us today to commit ourselves to ensuring the same future for our church that they did. In Jesus' name, amen.